0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. It is a wonderful day to be a Wildcat fan. I'm Luke Thompson and Eric Grubotten is here with us. Eric, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, getting ready to kick off another basketball season at K-State. Yeah, for sure,
0: for sure. So we brought on um, the editor of K-State Online, the rival site, Matt Hall. Matt, how are you? Hey,
2: very good. It's it's funny. You asked me to do this. I don't know, like five or six <laughs> days ago, and I was excited to do it either way. And then I thought about this a lot through the game yesterday, and how much this changed. Yeah, it's what this podcast is going to probably be about. So.
0: Uh, yeah. but it was
2: fun, and I really appreciate getting to be on and talk about you guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, originally we had planned to, to focus mostly on basketball, but you know, I, I just thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about football and how that went yesterday. Yeah, yeah you can't help it. Now. <laughs> So I, let that start with, you know, do you know of any serious K-State fans or, or media members who, who really thought K-State would win this game? I know I, I certainly didn't. And, you know, I don't mean just like the, hey, you never know, because Wisconsin lost Ooh. Illinois last week. I mean, like really thought K-State would win. Do you know of anybody?
2: I, I don't think so. I'm trying to run through it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I wasn't one of them, you know, and, yeah. and I didn't think it'd be very close. And, and I remember trying to say this a number of times during the week because I meant it. Like, when I kept predicting Oklahoma to blow up K-State, I didn't mean it, you know, as a slight at K-State. I think people understand that for the most part. I I just really went into that game believing Oklahoma was legitimately one of the three, four, five best teams in the country and really had separated themselves from the pack in the Big 12. So, I just thought K-State could play well in that game and still lose by 20 or more. So, I, I didn't predict it. I don't know anybody who really did, but I, I think a lot of people it was it was really just a lot of respect for Oklahoma more than it was right. in case they you know does not belong or that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, certainly one of the best best offensive teams in the country. Truth be told, uh, you know I live out in Colorado these days. I made the trip back to to kansas to see some family and i've got some stuff on campus uh tomorrow on monday i actually brought my golf clubs out and went out to Colbert hills and played golf yesterday morning as opposed to getting <laughs> tickets to the game because yep. i was like i'm not going to spend a hundred bucks on a decent ticket and then watch us get beat by 30 and that w- again that's not slighting us but i felt that 23 and a half point spread or whatever it was actually pretty conservative
0: mm-hmm. and i made plans to referee a soccer game you know two and a half hours after kickoff because i figured oh, the game will be over by then it'll be fine Yeah, kind of crazy. But at at the same time, though, I mean, the way that that K-State did it, if someone had told you that that Kansas State was going to win, is that pretty much the game plan you'd have expected? Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. Right. I think, because I, I think the funny thing is, I don't say this to brag. This is actually the first time I remembered this. I actually picked Oklahoma <laughs> 441 in this game.
0: And
2: I feel better, better about myself now that we're talking about this, but yeah, if, if K-State were we're going to win, I think it was going to be really, really hard to limit this Oklahoma offense You know, to much less than they did now they had them at 23 of course in the fourth quarter. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm crazy, but, but yeah, I think so. I think it was going to take a performance that was you know, perfect is too strong of a word on offense, but pretty darn close. I mean, for what they've been able yeah. to produce as of late, you know, great balance in the run game and the pass game, a great game from Skyler Thompson, you know, a couple of timely turnovers, maybe one of, you know, the unforced variety. I mean, so yeah, I think it's well said. I think if we were going to look back and if they were going to win, what was going to happen? It would probably be a shootout that K-State just played great offensively. And yeah, that, that's what happened. And it's just an exciting thing to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, it was kind of funny, actually. I came back, and I watched the game on the DVR, and at the start of the second half, the announcers justifiably said, well, K-State played a near-perfect first half, and they still only yeah. lead by one. And then it was like, oh, okay. K-State's like, oh, you think that was perfect? Just <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So I
2: mean, and I'll make it sound even worse. You know, you ask if there's any media who really believed K-State was going to win. Like, we sat up there in halftime as a group, at least, you know. At least you guys at K-State Online, and I don't know if maybe some of the K-Man guys and that kind of stuff. And I don't think one of us sat there and said we thought K-State was going to win. And again, that's a lot of guys who sincerely like Kansas State, you know, and wanted K-State to win that game. <laughs> and I don't, think, I don't think one of us at that point even thought so. And then, like you said, uh, the third quarter was – I would have never predicted it, uh, no matter – you know, in a million years that it would go that way for K-State.
0: Yeah. And then so a big part of it was and this is certainly I mean, you guys I talked about in the some of the game content on your site was some of the throws that Kyler Thompson made. You know, the one to, to Shown on the run, I think, was my favorite. Yeah. Uh, the one to Wheeler through about three guys, the narrowest of windows was pretty amazing. You know, was this the best game of his career, you think? You, I, I think
2: so, and I'm exactly with you. The throw that he was running to his right and shown was coming across the field, like I thought was his best throw and was amazing. You nailed them all. I mean, the, the Sammy Wheeler one was fantastic. He had one, you know, the Jordan Brown on the left sideline that I just I think he threw as hard as he possibly could and hoped he would get there, and it did. And yeah, Jordan yeah. grabbed the spell over as it hit him. <laughs> I think it was, you know, and there's other games. I mean, if we got there and, and got into it and looked at the efficiency of his throwing the cabal but Oklahoma State two years ago, whatnot, maybe you could nitpick and say he was better. But, you know, the level of opponent, being down 10 nothing and then 17-7 and still having your team win that game, rushing, of course, from four touchdowns, I haven't even mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah pro- probably. I think it's hard to argue that it's not at this point.
0: Yeah, the, the rushing, the, the QB trial on third and ten, that was one where I, I feel like ABC missed the opportunity to pan to Bill Snyder, nodding no approvingly doubt. in the press box.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, what do you think every time that stuff happens? And I would have loved, loved this. You know? mean, if they're going to see a graphic, you know, a fun graphic of Bill, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen the video on Twitter of him smiling and giving a thumbs up. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you can see that on the bottom, like, bottom right-hand corner of the screen every time they run the quarterback.
0: And I think it'd be
2: fantastic. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, but but Skyler wasn't the only one running well. You know, you had the the balanced three running backs. That's I mean, pretty amazing. All three guys had between either twelve or thirteen carries. We saw that. I don't know what do you call it, the triangle formation back there, yeah. but <laughs> it yeah. seems pretty effective.
2: It was. And I'll tell you, all the things that surprised me. You know, if we if you could have told me, hey, K State's going to score a bunch, I'd say, well, I guess Skyler had a really really good day. You know, I mean, something like that. I would have. I just did not think K State would be able to run the ball with his tailbacks against Oklahoma. Not that Oklahoma is, you know, everyone knows. I think in hindsight we can all say, of course, they're kind of built for the spread and that kind of stuff. And But I still know I never would have thought James Gilbert was going to run the way he did or Jordan Brown or K-State would rack up, you know, about 200 yards with just those two guys. I thought that was the most shocking thing in the game was how K-State could just line up and run an Oklahoma over and over again with so much success because I, I never predicted that happening, and that was probably the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they really, I mean, this was talked about, they kind of dominated the line of scrimmage on, on both sides of the ball. You know, Do you right. see that as more of guys just overpowering Oklahoma or or more out-scheming, where the coaches found something that was maybe a weakness for the Sooners? Well,
2: there was a guy in the press box who was sitting, I think, two spots down for us, and he was incredibly nice, and he covered Oklahoma. I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, but he he worked for USA Today, covered Oklahoma in some manner. And he told us before the game so much. He's like, Yeah, you guys, you know, I understand the it's going to be close, but Oklahoma is just not built schematically to handle what K State does offensively. I mean, they they don't, hmm. everything they do, you know, is to go against threads and to defend people going side to side and we'll use the speed and everything they're based on. He told us besides, the they don't have good players still. And he thought Oklahoma was going to win. He didn't think K State was going to score 50 and beat them, you but, know. Yeah. But he, But he really believed. They would struggle with K-State scheme, and then through the game, he wasn't a big "I told you so" guy. But he's like, "Yeah, this isn't for Oklahoma. Like, this is not what they work on. This is not who they are." And so, I guess with that in mind, and I think Oklahoma is so talented, and it's proven they're so talented to me all year long. It's, it's got to be scheme somewhat because K-State struggled so much up front, and you know the games against Oklahoma State and against Baylor, and for some reason you even that I, I just have to believe it was some scheme. k like, State I don't but I hate saying that because I feel like it takes away from you know somehow takes away credit from what the players physically did and I don't mean for it to at all. But I still I still kind of think yeah it had to be the what dial K State played as much as anything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean that kind of you know maybe good news for Oklahoma because they're not gonna see a lot of other yeah. teams in the day twelve with that scheme. <laughs> so
2: yeah, exactly and I think I've already seen people joking on Twitter or on message boards or wherever about Oklahoma still making the playoffs. You know, yeah. and I, I I don't know enough about college football to know what all teams outside of the Big 12 are going to win and lose and that kind of stuff. But I yeah. will say I've already had that thought. Like, it's not going to be impossible. Because like you just said, Oklahoma's not going to see another team like K-State. If they just roll through people, you know, the rest of the way, i am ready for K-State fans to be upset, you know, if was using the <laughs> playoffs. But in reality, I thought that would be amazing. Like, that's the ideal outcome, I think. You know, is unless K State's going to win out in the Big 12 or something? Heck, Oklahoma went out, go to the playoff, and that's great for K State. But you're right; they won't face another team like K State the rest of the year. Yeah.
0: One other thing that I thought was cool and jumped out to me on the stat sheet was nine different guys caught passes. You know, I mean, those yeah. are Pat Mahomes' numbers. <laughs> like, you now, what was the impact? you think of of other receivers stepping up to to help Malik? You know, kind of gotten that rap of being the only receiver and.
2: No, exactly, it just falls in line with things that I would have said. Just you know, hey, probably aren't going to happen this game, you know, because <laughs> I do think Malik Knowles is so so important to this offense, and and he is. But like you said, it did I mean, he found ways to make good plays. The Samuel Wheeler play was a huge play. I mean, there's so every every play's a big play in a 48-41 game. I could do that. You know, we could do that the entire time. But, <laughs> but I mean, Wyking Gill, of course, has been a more productive player the last couple of weeks for sure. Jacksonine made I thought a beautiful one-handed catch on a five-yard you know catch. I think <laughs> it was for a first down. We talked about the Jordan Brown reception, yeah, there's so many different guys who made contributions in the passing game. did about you know Josh Youngblood, who scores on a reverse too, or a jet sweep as well. So yeah, we, I spent a lot of time you know talking about my concerns about their receiving core and, and not having the league olds healthy and what it does. and it didn't matter you know, for that offense on Saturday. And I think that speaks a lot to those kids being better than I've given them credit for, and then I think you know to Courtney Messingham doing a really nice job too. You know, yeah.
1: having Malik Knowles just healthy and on and and able to be on the field, it, whether he's catching balls or not, he's a good enough player that it really makes the entire secondary play a little bit more honest, which frees up the rest of the receivers quite a bit too. And just getting that ground game going early was huge for both Skyler to get to to get time to throw passes mm-hmm. and and that sort of thing, as well as getting those receivers open because now all of a sudden they're getting gashed and you've got the secondary coming up and trying to help there. The having the ground game going early for us was just. Massive, And I think that's how we're going to see success on offense in general.
0: Mm-hmm. And so um, then – go ahead, Matt. Sorry.
1: Well, he's he's exactly
2: right. And it's just amazing. It's like, you know, you get in cycles of bad things, one thing hurting each other and nothing can work. And he just described the opposite. He's exactly right. You know, if you can get one thing working and you have them, he just nailed it. That was well well said. And, and I think it is, he is still a very valuable player, even if he's not racking up the 10 for 100 yards on and a touchdown or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And so I think the one thing that, you know, if there is any, let's call it concerns for Kansas State, it's the same as it's been kind of all year is the tackling issues and especially yeah. on the, the big C D limb play. So I guess the, the question really is how fixable do you think are those issues for the next few weeks?
2: That is the question. I don't know that they are. I know sounds pessimistic, you know, I mean, because it just says, oh, they can't fix it, but uh, I think it's just kind of who they are, you know, and, and I don't want to get back into saying it's not an incredibly physically gifted team because they just beat Oklahoma, you know, and at one point, I can't get the exact timing right, but at one point, K-State out Oklahoma 41-6, to you know, during a stretch of that game, so I feel silly sitting here and saying, oh, it's just kind of who they are physically, and it's going to be a problem because they've been good enough, but, I kind of think so. I just think it's hard for a lot of teams in college football, and I think it's hard sometimes to get the kind of leverage and and just be lined – when I say lined up, I don't mean schematically. I guess I mean squared up, you know, as a tackler, when you're going against guys who are probably just a little bit better athletes than you are. And CeeDee Lamb, you know, for example, of course, is is an elite athlete. So that one doesn't worry me, of course, as much. But I, I think you'll continue to see issues, but that doesn't mean it can't get better, you know, or that they can't, you know, swarm to the ball better or just have some more success. But I'd be lying if I thought that, Two, three weeks from now, we could sit here and say, hey, I tell you what, they fixed their tackling issues. Because I think it's, I think it's uh-huh. going to last probably through the season.
1: Well, yeah. and it's something that almost feels like cultural to the game anymore, because mm-hmm. it's certainly not something that affects just K-State. In that game, we saw Skylar Thompson score on a uh, on yep. a keeper from, I forget, 10 or 15 yards out, where two Oklahoma players missed tackles on him. So, you know, it just feels like it's something that's almost cultural that it, players would rather go up and just pop somebody as opposed to just make, wrapping up and making a solid tackle.
2: Yeah I, yeah. I agree.
0: Or sometimes you see guys going trying to strip the ball too much too. I feel like. Yep. Yeah, so then to look forward a little bit, I mean, you know, I feel like the rational side of me says KSA look great. They're a more talented team than Kansas. They always dominate Kansas. It should be fine, but – There are some fears that, you know, KU's got an offense this year, at least since they got the new offensive coordinator. Puka Williams is obviously very good, and they're coming off a win. Um, Can you put to rest those fears at all?
2: I'd love to, but if I were going to – I mean, if you hadn't said a word and asked me how I feel about it, I would have said almost (laughs) word for word exactly what you said. I believe K-State's better than Kansas. I believe K-State's better coached. I believe they have better players. I believe they'll, you know, prepare really well this week. And, you know, if I'm making a prediction, I think KC will beat KU. But I feel exactly mm-hmm. the same way. Like, I think it's a terrifying game. If you just look at KU, who they've been the last two weeks since the change of coordinator, you know, they, they had every opportunity to win down there at Texas, you know, scored 48 points and didn't do it. And then they got fortunate, of course. I mean, I laugh to say the word fortunate, you know, at the end of the game, against mm-hmm. you know, Texas Tech. But they, you know, offensively, were, they were good and they and they won it. So, the last two weeks, they've been a good, big, 12 cool football team. And that's what KC is going to play on the road and probably a pretty – Probably the most fired-up Kansas crowd uh, ever. Yeah. You know, I don't know. All 30 of them. <laughs> 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 so, And again, I, I don't think they're going to the win. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but I am as scared as you are for all the same reasons. And I think it's going to be a stressful week and a potentially stressful game on Saturday in Lawrence.
1: I think they have the best potential to beat us that they've had in yeah. recent memory. I will concede that. You know, it's hard to take anything away from either how they played against Texas or how they played against Texas Tech, because this is one of, I think, statistically the worst Texas defense in school history. Yeah, yeah, uh, I heard that today. And Texas Tech, A, didn't get pressure on the quarterback at all, and B, their secondary just got lit up over and over yeah, again. Yeah. So it's really hard to take anything away. I'm not saying that they don't have a better offense. They absolutely have a better offense. I think their offense is certainly a wild card. Their running game actually is pretty good, but it's really hard to take a look at the results and kind of the win that they have against Texas Tech, as well as some of the other quote-unquote good games that they played, and really take anything away from it, because they have played some, the the team on the other side of the ball really hasn't held up their end of the bargain.
2: Oh, no doubt. That's a great point. Like You watched that game last night. I didn't watch every snap, but almost all of them. But I mean, how all of Kansas' touchdowns, not to exaggerate, all of them, you know, were (laughs) – it felt like, you know, and those count. I don't want to be the announcer who says, well, if you take out the six yard, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you only have 32 yards. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, like, the way they've scored, especially last night, I don't think K-State's going to give up five 50-yard touchdown passes to KU. You know what I mean? Like, they're just not going to play that style. So I totally agree with what you're saying. And while I think they're better, yeah, it doesn't mean they're going to go drop Forty, you know, on K State this Saturday, I would be, I would
0: be shocked at that. Yeah. And and let's not forget, Texas Tech gave KU the game-winning field goal on one of the dumbest yeah. plays in college football history.
2: It was one of those plays, you know, where like I was upstairs <laughs> doing something, and Natalie, my wife, yells at me. She's like, "Uh, Tech just K, you know, she's trying to describe <laughs> it. She's like, so KU missed the kick really bad." And Tech caught it, but then they fumbled. You know, it didn't do it justice. And then I go yeah. watch it. Like, no, no, he didn't just fumble it. Like he went lateral that thing. You know. No, like,
0: that's funny that the same thing happened to me. My brother texted me. Yeah. I guess he must have been just watching the game tracker or something. He said, right. "Yeah, the field goal was blocked, and then Tech fumbled. And K, you got a closer field goal. <laughs> exactly.
2: And you and you and you just wonder like, how what, how? what scenario played out for that to happen?
0: And then you go yeah.
2: see, see it yourself. Well, I guess that's how it happened. And um. Yeah, just crazy. I mean, just a crazy finish for that game. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, and it's funny. You watch the replay, and you know, hindsight being twenty twenty and all, but it looks like the guy actually had a lane if he would have right. kept running there. Yeah,
2: it didn't even seem. It didn't even seem like like yeah, the scenario like in a disaster scenario they were behind, right? And they had to do that to win the game. You know, like mm-hmm. even if that were the case, I agree. I thought he could have kept running. Like I didn't think he was forced. Yeah. To pitch it yet, so it was crazy, and maybe he thought they were behind. You know, I mean, but he yeah, I don't know. It was it was crazy because I saw the same thing. I don't think he could score, but yeah, he mm-hmm. he wasn't yeah. forced to pitch it yet at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, we weren't that far away from Ku losing two weeks in a row because right. of blocked kicks returned for you know points. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's too bad. Missed opportunities. Right. But... <laughs> But, yeah, so I guess, you know, we'll see how that, that K-State KU game goes. i like to think there will still be a lot of purple in Lawrence. Oh, there yeah. always I, is. So.
2: I do, too, and everyone's talking, and rightfully so, you know, about how the, I don't know the facts myself. I just keep being told they've sold 45000 or around that area, and, and I believe that if that's what I'm being told. But, yeah, a lot of that's mm-hmm. going to be K-State fans, too, no doubt about it. Yeah.
0: Should be fun. Should be fun. And, and, and speaking of fun, Eric, you ready to talk some basketball?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right. So, well, let's just start with, I didn't get a chance to watch the exhibition, Fred, and I'm still hoping to go back in and watch some of it. Eric, so you watched a little bit. Matt, I'm going to assume that you got a chance to watch most of it.
2: Yep, I was fortunate
0: to get just, to be there and see all of it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So just initial thoughts from that game. You know, a caveat that, obviously, it's Emporia State. It's an exhibition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> the thing, as I
2: hope everyone, everything we say, can understand, you know, exhibition against Emporia. But I was... Uh, most taken back, like most people, by the way, you know, Antonio Gordon and Montavious Murphy produced. And and not just, you know, the score, and, and Antonio Gordon shot the ball really well. And, and Monty Murphy, I think, hit two threes as well. So not just that they shot it well, but I remember at one point commenting that, you know, Murphy had six offensive of boards in the first half. He finished the double-double. Antonio Gordon had seven boards. I think they neither of them, they only combined for one turnover. So it's one of those games where that's two, two true freshmen who both scored it pretty well. But they both did a lot of other things too. And I think some of it not you know, some of it is sustainable, not to the level they did against Emporia State, obviously, but you know, sustainable to where those were two guys that if I'm being totally honest about Antonio Gordon, and I still kinda do, it's probably not even maybe in the rotation this year when Monty Murphy's maybe your seventh or eighth guy. But if that's the case still, I think they're both better players just from one game than maybe I would have projected. And I think Antonio Gordon's gonna be somebody, whether it's this year or a couple years down the line where He'll be an awfully good score as a 3 or a 4 just because of his size and his skill. So those two guys are the first thing that came to mind for me.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, watching the game, what uh, I'll just echo the fact that it was our first exhibition game against Emporia State. And I'll also include the fact that we're a really young team as well. A lot of the minutes came from freshmen and redshirt freshmen and that sort of thing. So it was a little swappier than I would have liked, but in general, it was – kind of what i was expecting to see as far as effort and how tight i was expecting things to see and everything like that big takeaway for me the fact that it's emporia state they literally i mean i don't think they have anybody over six 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 seven on their roster and uh and mac had a pretty rough night and you know just extrapolating forward for the rest of the season i'm not gonna you know hang anything on that but mac's gonna be an x-factor for us this year if he has good games, we're going to play well. If he's a no-show, we might be pretty rough those nights. So I would have liked to have seen a lot more for Mawin out of that first game.
2: You make a great point because I think I want to say one of the first, if not the first things Bruce Weber said in postgame was was more or less, yeah, Mac and Levi can't, and he didn't say it as harshly as I'm going to, but Mac and Levi can't give us nothing, you know? Well, I mean, yeah. and that's more or less what happened. And. You know, I'm a pretty optimistic, you know, whatever guy. So I, I just I, I want to say and believe, well, Mac is weird like that in practicing against bad teams and he is sometimes. But he also is against good teams sometimes too. I mean, so it's not an unreasonable concern. And you're right, you would have loved to see that be a game where he gets whatever he wants against Emporia and that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah, there I mean, was the,
0: something uh, in the in the postseason last year it felt like you know, there were some people say, "Oh, well, wow, this Mac Wayne, like this is gonna be the Mac Wayne when we get next season." And it's like, let's pump the brakes on that. I, yeah. I think he's still got to prove himself a little bit.
1: Honestly, when at the end of the season we look back at his career at Case State, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time figuring out if he is one of the worst good players we've ever had or one of the best bad players we've ever had because he's just he, – he's really good when he's good and he's really bad when he's bad. Looking at Stockard and uh, at Levi and Mack, their combined stat line is what we need out of Mack every night. I mean, ten point, their combined stat lines, 10.7 boards. you got to get that out of Mack every night this season.
2: Yeah, I was just interrupted to think, I don't know if I'd rather be – and I, I agree with every word you said – I'm just wondering if I'd rather be a really bad, good player or a really good, bad player. Which one I'd rather be? I think I'd rather be a really good, bad player. Is that dumb?
0: (laughs) Uh, Hell, I don't know. (laughs) I think so. Keep expectations low, right?
2: It sounds better. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like you've, you've exceeded somebody's expectations. But on the other side, it sounds like you've disappointed them, even though they're probably the same exact
0: thing. Yeah,
1: yeah a good point another thing that really jumped out at me was how quickly uh david sloan juco transfer jumped in and actually asserted himself in the in the lineup and you know i hate to say it you know we move along the season we might start seeing some pressure from him actually taking mike McGurl's starting spot as uh and really running the team as a point guard uh later in the season coming out first game eight points, seven assists five boards it's really hard to and three steals i mean him and McGurl have really played pretty well between the two of them but I like the uh, I like the ability for David Sloan to actually score a few more points and not relying on streaky shooting compared to Mike.
2: No, well said. I think I mean and and going sticking with the theme, I think that was one of the first not one of not the first but second or third thing that Bruce talked about in the post game was that David Sloan I think was a you know plus minus plus twenty eight highest on the team when he was on the floor. Get a lot of praise for him, and I think you're right. Like I don't remember what – some show last week. I think it was Kurtz's. I don't know. Uh, I think I said that I thought, and this was before the Sean Williams suspension thing, that I I thought David Sum would start more games than either Mike McGurl or Sean Williams, and and I was kind of just you know saying something to say something a little bit. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, but then you see like, you see what you saw, you know that last you know not last night but Friday night against Emporia and again Emporia State all that stuff. But um, I know they really really like him. I know they think he's the most real point guard they've had since. You know, since Angel doesn't mean better than all the other guys who played point, but the more, most true point is Angel Rodriguez. And they do really, really like him. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's an excellent chance that could happen.
0: Yeah, just for fun, I want to mention that Duke only won by six last night against Northwest Missouri State. So, you know, while I was expected. It's not wow. a given. <laughs> I,
2: I saw that. I saw <laughs> it in a text message and thought it had to be a mistake and I didn't follow <laughs> up on it. But to hear you say it again, I now have to believe it's true. Like, that's yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But anyway, so while we're talking about the starters, so, you know, you guys think David Sloan will get in there. How's this? Um, so Bruce went with the, the experience last night, obviously, with McGraw and Snead and Jada, plus uh, Stockard and Maywean. Safe to assume that's going to be the, the season opening starting lineup, you think?
2: I do. I do. It was an interesting little thing. Like mm-hmm. On the game notes they sent out before the game, they listed Montavious Murphy as a starter. And those usually aren't just huh. a guess. You know, yeah. usually they've been told that. So I'm with you, Like, and I was shocked because I thought Levi would start. I'm with you. I would project that as what you just said as the starting lineup for the regular season. But I just think it's an interesting note. They did initially list Monty as the starter. So it's maybe not set in stone, but I would guess so, yeah.
0: Okay, so we've got that. But then the real question is, what do you think the starting lineup would be when Big 12 play starts, assuming no injuries, obviously?
2: Maybe it is as simple, you know, is just putting in David Sloan at the point and Montego Murphy at the four, and, and that's not even a knock on Mike. I mean, one, I feel the same way about you know, David Sloan that we've talked about here on the show, but two, I just think Mike McGurl feels like, and I mean, this still means this is a knock on him. Uh, I, I, he feels like a sixth man to me, you know, it feels like an an energy intensity, put a guy in to change the game type of player, and, and that, he could still play as many minutes as David Sloan, if not more, but... I would think if I was betting money, I would think when Big 12 play starts, it would it'd be the three you know we expect with Cardi and X and Mac, but then maybe the two with them are David Sloan and, and Montavious Murphy.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I I think that hits the nail right on the head to be honest with you. <clears throat> Just looking up and down the roster, based on what I saw against Emporia State, and again, I we're making wild projections based off of one tremendously overmatched team uh, mm-hmm. in an exhibition game, but this team legitimately goes nine deep right now. You know, I'm looking at how Antonio Gordon played, how Monte played, how David Sloan played, how DeJuan Gordon played, and we can bring those four guys in, and I really don't think if you're comparing them to a Mike McGill or a Levi Stockard or a Mac Moline, there's a tremendous drop-off, certainly not in talent. So these guys get caught up to speed and actually get some meaningful minutes at the D1 level under their belt, and I think you might see a starting five, but you're going to see a lot of even minutes outside of probably X and Cartier.
2: And it's funny just to tack onto that, because I think you're right. I, at Big 12 Media Days, I think I just randomly asked Coach Weber, like, hey, in a perfect world, not even this team, just in a perfect world, how deep would you like to be? And he said, really, if you go further than nine, it's almost a problem. And like to where every coach would like to have more than that, but to what you just said would probably be the number he would want. You know, you always want better players. Because, I mean, and again, like you nailed it. It's just some We don't know how good these guys are yet, but a nine would probably be the number he would want even. So that could be a pretty good development.
0: Yeah, I mean, unless you're Kentucky and you can bring in, you can have, like, two groups of blue-chipped five, freshmen. <laughs> which
2: is the way I stuff to you on video games, you know? I mean, it's like, I, I you can just have two groups of five, but, you know, maybe in the real world you can't do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. If I can, just uh, real quick, since we're talking about rotation, what's the situation with Sean Williams, formerly Sean Neal yeah. Williams, and his his suspension? And I would he even be a rotation guy if he gets back?
2: It's a weird deal. I did not know before I saw him, meaning you know Sean Williams on Friday, that he was going to be suspended. I didn't know it, so it wasn't like the most shocking thing in the world. But one, I wasn't expecting it, and you just really got to wonder. I mean, I know how much I know how much they like his talent, and I, that's not just me saying it to say it. Like they really, really do. But I just really wonder now, yeah, what the chances of that are if he were to get his you know stuff together to get brought back off suspension with Coach Weber more or less said wouldn't happen until, you know, the regular season opener at the earliest, then, yeah, I would think he would be ahead of, you know, different position, of course, but ahead of probably not taking how he played against Emporia too lightly, but probably ahead of Antonio Gordon. If I was betting, you know, I have doubts. Like, I really have doubts Mm -hmm. that he can get back into the rotation at this point, but we'll just have to see.
1: What's the story there? I haven't heard any. Actually, th- uh, this is super ignorant on my part, but I was, no. this is the first I've heard about a suspension.
2: Well, it came out of no. I mean, it's not yeah. crazy on your part because it really, no one knew about it until 11, you know, 11 o'clock or later on a Friday night. And then, of course, everything happened Saturday. So, I mean, when I say something's gotten buried in K-State News, it really has, you know. So, Bruce Weber this pretty clearly said it was his decision. He doesn't think that Sean, you know, was doing the right things in the program. And... He wasn't going to unsuspend him. He said, you know, anytime really soon. He said he wouldn't play against, you know, Washburn. And there was no reason given, and I haven't really pushed too much to understand why. But I, I mean, I I, I want to say I was at I was at one practice where I heard Bruce lose his mind on a player, and I didn't see who it was, but I suspected right at that moment it was Sean. And and that was again this was this was a month ago, you know, because this could of the stuff I'd kind of heard, and so I just think it's not it's not fitting really really
0: well right now with him. Yeah, the story's still fresh enough that we haven't had time for rumors to start flying around. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the the team. And I think, you know, we'll get to the offensive questions because those are probably the more interesting ones. But the strength of K-State is obviously going to be the defense. Um, And I guess the big thing for me is it looks like on paper there should be a more athletic roster. Does that mean they can develop into an even better defense at some point? I think
2: so, yes. And now even better... Even Mike McGraw, when I was waiting to say this in a press here, even better may not mean, you know, statistically better because they were so good statistically the last, you know, last year specifically the last couple of years. And they would like to play more possessions. So if that happens, if somebody puts the points per game, they might say, well, they weren't better, you know. And they may not even be as good from an efficiency perspective either. But I think they have the chance to be. I mean, moving Barry Brown is really, really not helpful, you know, on defense. And Dean Wade was a great defender. And Cam Stokes was an underrated defender. But all that said, you know, I think you're right. I think top to bottom – particularly if it ends up being a lineup like we talked about earlier, the one that goes into big 12 play, maybe with David Sloan and, and Monty Murphy and then Mike coming off the bench. They would probably just be more physically gifted, longer, you know, bigger, faster, stronger team. DeJuan Gordon added to that, too, in the rotation than they were last year to where I think it can be a similarly good, if not as good, even perhaps defensive team, even though I bet you they give up more points just because of the way K-State plays this year.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think tempo-wise we're going to speed up a little bit, but as far as, you know, really getting out there and pressuring passing lanes and everything like that, I don't think you're going to see much of a drop-off than you've seen in the past. You know, Levi and and Mac really aren't going to probably defend in the post quite as well as Dean was able to. Yeah, uh, but that perimeter defense, I don't think uh, even considering the legendary defensive talent that Barry Brown was in the history of K-State basketball. I don't think you're going to see a tremendous drop-off in that defensive pressure and capability out there on the perimeter. I mean, again, it's, it was Emporia State, but 11 steals, 23 forced turnovers in 40 minutes. I mean, that's getting out there and causing havoc.
2: Yep, absolutely.
0: I will say guys and I know I'm probably in the minority on this, but when we talk about the tempo, I'm always a little hesitant because I feel like we hear this a lot and for me it's kind oh, of a believe it when I see it type of thing. I really want it to happen,
2: but I totally I agree. Know. And I've said as much. Like I've even written like, hey, everyone says this. They're not gonna do it. You know? And then I've had a couple people yeah. tell me like what, you know, people like whimping the program behind the scenes, like, hey, we know everyone says it. We promise, like that's our intention to do. We <laughs> really believe it's gonna happen. So now I'm starting to say it too. And I'm sure, you know, I'll come back maybe with you guys in six weeks and they'll be averaging <laughs> 53 and you know, and hopefully playing well. Um, but I, I feel the same way. Like, I know, even though I believe them right now, I know I'm going to get duped and you'll be right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> can just, you
0: know, I was looking it up and Bruce's tenure year K-State has never even cracked the top 240 in Ken <laughs> Palm's adjusted tempo. And it's actually gotten worse each of the last four years. So. Exactly. No, you're, you're so right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so let's uh, switch over to I think the thing that that's keeping everybody up at night, and that's the offense. A lot of questions here. For me, the most important one is: Are Xavier and Cartier really ready to step into those primary scoring roles that K-State is going to need them to play?
2: I'm scared about that. I mean, and I think K-State <laughs> will be good this year. You know, maybe more than some people think. But those two, those scare me. I mean, I think. I think X gets as close to bluntly admitting to people he doesn't want to be, you know, the number one guy as you'll ever hear a, a borderline star say. You know, I mean, X doesn't really want that role, I don't think, offensively. So, I mean, he wants to score. He wants to play a lot of minutes. He wants to have the ball, but he does not have a desire, you know what I mean, to be the number one guy. Cardi absolutely does. I mean, he has a burning desire to be the number one guy, and I think he can be, and I think he's going to have a, a fantastic year. But, I mean, that that's the same question that scares me is, is I can see those guys scoring enough, uh, you know, those two individuals, to where the trickle down from the rest of the guys will be enough to keep K-State in a lot of games. But I haven't seen it, and that does scare me. You know, I mean, yeah. you're asking a guy in Cardi to jump from in a bigger role, and I think he will. We have a guy who's averaging, you know, seven or eight to become a 16, 17 seventeen-point scorer, and X to get in that range, maybe, and it can happen, and, and maybe it will. But I, I do share the same fears you do.
0: And I'm glad you, you said it like that. Cause I also agree that Cardi has the better chance of doing it because I think you know, like you said, he's got the mindset, and also it seems like he can create off the dribble yeah. better. And Sx has developed that part of his game, but. Um, well, so well, we did see. see it
1: a couple times in that in that Emporia State game where X clearly has been working on scoring yeah. off the dribble, and he did it a couple times in the Emporia State game. Now, it's not to continue to beat a dead horse, but Emporia State is not Kansas.
0: Yeah.
1: So we'll find out if he can do that once we get into Big 12 play. But, you know, I think both of you are dead on that if there's a guy on this team that really has the desire and capability to lead the team in scoring, it's Cartier. At the end of the day, I don't see either of those guys being a... I've got to take over the game, and I'm going to put the team on my back type players offensively. They're just – neither of them are that player at the end of the day. So when we're looking at box scores after games, you're going to have to see three, if not four people in double figures every night in order to win games.
2: I agree. I think I think there will be exceptions to everything, right? I mean, there will be nights nice where those guys are, but I think as a whole, I totally agree. I don't think either is going to be – neither is going to be Barry where you can just say – you know let's put him in every position uh every possession down the stretch so i think it's true i, I agree wholeheartedly with that
0: and, and you know looking at that class half full could be good because that means if one guy has yeah. an off night there's more guys to pick him up so
1: yep absolutely, absolutely.
0: and the, i guess the, the other thing i'm you know worried about a lot with the offense is uh you know because coming back shot i think 32 percent from three last year and this is one thing actually we i think we've heard from bruce they want to shoot more threes right and uh he, he's Mentioned three or four guys that he thinks could get up to low 40%, but you're asking a lot of guys to make big jumps there. Is that really realistic?
1: I'm interested to know who he thinks
0: is going to get there. uh, I think he said X and Cartier and maybe McGurl as well.
2: I think, yeah, I think that's the question. I think if you were going to pick out four guys, you know, Cardi shot 41 as a redshirt freshman. He didn't shoot that last year, but he has done it. You know, I think it's reasonable to think he could shoot high 30s. X could shoot high 30s. But beyond that, I do think it's stretching it some. I know DeJuan has shot above, you know, I think he shot the highest percentage in practice throughout camp, if you want to call it that, in practice. He's been, I mean, in the high 40s in practice, but that's not probably, trans. you know, he's not going to shoot in the high 40s in games. He may not yeah, shoot I mean,
0: I think I saw, yeah, yeah, in his bio, it says he shot 34% from three as a senior in high school. Right. So, yeah, that's our like, time. exactly.
2: Uh, Mike McGurl is a, is, you know, I mean, a good, he's a good shooter, but he shot, what, 27% last year, something like that? <laughs> I mean, Really Antonio, streaky. So well, streaky. Can. So they have guys, again, in one-game scenarios, they're going to have a lot of guys to have nights where they hit, you know, 40% of their threes. But over the course of the season, I'm with you. I, I don't think they will. And, and I wonder if they won't even do the opposite. I know they are going to talk about having more shooters and more, mm-hmm. and more shooting, but I think Bruce believes the closeouts become a lot tougher for defenses. With the line even just a few inches further back, so I think Bruce may talk like that, but my my gut actually thinks they might do the opposite and try to get into the lane more, even though the the conventional or at least the talk has been has been different than that because I think Bruce sees a lot of value in using the three point line that way, you know, on the on offense.
1: Yeah, I see a lot more. I don't see the forty percent shooters on this team, you know. I think that you're dead on about Xavier and maybe Cartier. you know, Mike McGirl, What we've seen him seen of him in the past does he'll he'll have. One game where he goes five for six, and then he'll have another game where he goes over four, and then another game where he goes one for five, and, you know, that, that's not a 40% three-point shooter. But looking at the roster, I think the thing that's going to help us out isn't the high-percentage shooters. It's the fact that pretty much everybody on the roster outside of Mac and well, Mac maybe, and, and Levi, are really, they're credible threats. You have to go guard them at the
0: line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think we're overdue for a break here, so take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors. And now we're back. So, yeah, I think that's a good point, Eric, you make about having to guard people on the line kind of helps spread out. Yeah. And that's especially valuable in kind of the motion offense that K-State runs, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. And that's what I'm interested to see is what is the offense this year? Are we going to have Mack and Levi running running high post or even out on the wings or that sort of thing to free up some cutting lanes? Or are we going to run a more traditional offense where you're going to see those guys kind of work in that painted area and have other guys, you know, they might flash through the lane or that sort of thing, but really be more perimeter oriented at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, and part of that is, you know, how much does K-State want to try to play small? Do you think we'll see some lineups where X is playing the four?
2: I think you absolutely will. I mean, I've been surprised, and I I feel like I'm saying some things that paint X in a different light than I'm intending to. I think he's one of the most unselfish, polite guys I've ever covered. So I'm about to say he's going to come off different, but I've been surprised. He's been somewhat adamant that he's not going to play the four. I thought, you know, oh, that's kind of just a thing. He's still going to be okay with it or whatever. But he's pretty definitively stated he doesn't plan to play much four this year. I mean, within the last two, three weeks, when asked directly about it, All that said, like, I would just be shocked if that doesn't happen (laughs) a good good portion of the time. And maybe you could argue, you know, if you're being a technical sense, maybe Dejuan will play some of the four, you know, in those lineups. If you want to say X is the three, depending on who they guard or who's on the floor or whatnot. But I would just be floored, just shocked if there's not big stretches of the year where their best lineup is, yeah, some combination of David Sloan, Cartier Schott, Xavier Sneed, Dejuan Gordon, and McCall McWayne. So I still believe it's going to happen a bunch one way or another.
0: Yeah. And so it's a hope it, it a, does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to go on just a bit of a tangent, um, and maybe, but but I'm thinking, you know, maybe this is why X doesn't want to play the four. What does he need to do to make himself into a legitimate NBA prospect this year? Well-
2: yeah, and I think that is it. Like, he knows for him to play in the NBA, he has to be seen as a as a 3-and-D guy. Like, he said that word for word. Like, he has to be seen as a guy who's a, a great three-point shooter and a great perimeter defender. And I think, obviously, you think he can show that much better by playing the 3 and playing on the perimeter <laughs> on offense and having a ton of chances to shoot the 3. Even though he can shoot the 3 a lot playing the 4, you know, at K-State, in theory, but that makes sense. And then again, defensive, I think that's. I think he's more concerned about on the defensive side. Uh, he knows he can guard threes and twos and ones and that kind of stuff. And he believes people have seen that too. But he would love to show a whole season of being, you know, the number one perimeter lockdown defender, not just at K State, but maybe, you know, maybe in the Big Twelve. And I think he believes if he's able to show that, that he is a, becomes a really a truly draftable player or a guy who can play in the league. And I think he maybe he has some fear. That if he just uh, never gets to put more time on film with him being this great perimeter defender and he's guarding guys in the post a lot, it could hurt his future. And he's not wrong. You know, I mean, I think it's it's not totally wrong of him to have that thought in his head.
1: Yeah, I think at the NBA level, the, you know, X at 6'5 is a little undersized for a, a small forward for a three. So for him to really become uh, an NBA-level talent, someone the team's actually going to go pick up and put on their roster, (laughs) it's beyond just playing or just hitting threes. I think he really needs to just become more efficient in general offensively and show that he can score in all sorts of fashions with limited number of attempts. You know, I think, uh, you know, improving his three-point shooting per- percentage is definitely important, but it's also going to be that kind of scoring off the dribble, being able to get in there and grab rebounds and that sort of thing. And we saw that out, out of him in Emporia, against Emporia State. He had a really efficient game against Emporia State. Now let's see if he can keep doing that against the Texas Techs and the Kansases of the world and everything like that. If he can carry that theme throughout the entire season, then he's going to start to, he's going to, start to look a lot more like an NBA prospect. No yeah. doubt.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna say, you know, it, he might be like sort of like a Wes of do type, but you know, Eric, I think Wes is at least two inches taller. So yeah, he makes yeah, that's, yeah, the, yeah, that's, that's, really that's the thing
1: Wes has going for him is he's six seven. Size wise, he's a lot more fitted to play that three and can even guard some smaller fours if need be in the NBA level. X at six five. You know he's just not going to be a, a competent defender uh, against a four uh, a four spot th- at the NBA so he's got to really show more than just defensive prowess he needs to, he, he really does need to show that he's a credible th- threat offensively at, uh, at the NBA level
0: no doubt and so another concern especially if they go that small lineup is going to be the rebounding so I guess just to keep it simple you know where are the rebounds coming from this season
2: I worry about that you know, something we talked about earlier. You got to hope Mac is somebody that the number referenced earlier was seven boards a game. That would be nice yeah. to see. You know, if, if he can get the to 25, 26 minutes and if he can give you seven boards a game and, and X can bump up to five and a half or, you know, he's already around that range, but, you know, six, six and a half. I think you'll get enough, you know, from the size we've kind of talked about elsewhere. I think cartier jano wouldn't have been a pretty nice rebounder, you know, when he plays more minutes on the floor. And whether they're playing Levi or Monty, I think they'll be okay. I, I do have a fear about rebounding because, yeah, nobody. Dean Wade wasn't an elite rebounder, but he was a good rebounder, of course, and, and nobody immediately fills that role in the lineup as you just slide guys around. But I think as you kind of get back to the earlier point about maybe just having a little more depth and talent in general, I do think they'll be an okay rebounding team, even if not there's not one guy who leads the way with eight or nine or anything along those lines.
1: Yeah, you see it from K-State quite a bit. A lot more team rebounding than individual rebounders. It's been quite a while, probably. I'm I'm trying to think the last time we actually had a player that really had a nose for the ball from a rebounding perspective that went and got it as opposed to just fundamental box out and if the ball comes your way, grabbing it. Might have to go back all the way to Michael Beasley. Yeah. Think about a player that really had a nose for the ball. And that's perfectly fine as long as everybody on the floor is sticking to their fundamentals and we're really able to execute on that team
0: rebounding. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about all this and, and what we want to say. And one of the things I'm excited about this season is, you know, the, the Marquette game is going to be the first, like, really good team that the K-State plays. But, you know, opening up with North Dakota State, that's a tournament team. Then yep. at UNLV, we're going to get a decent idea of where they're at real quick. Oh, exactly. I mean, those
2: aren't world beater, you know, but those are two, you know, I don't know, uh, top and maybe even underselling it, top 130, you know, top 100-type RPI teams, and maybe even better than that, like you said, North Dakota State was in the tournament last year on the road game, too. Yeah, I think you should have a lot of hope and belief K-State can win both those games, get off to a 2-0 start, but it's not, you know, I think for some reason Bethune-Cookman is always the joke team I say, you know, for K-State scheduling. Like, they're not playing Bethune-Cookman twice to start the year. So, I'll be very interested to see those two games because, yeah, it's not much of a stair-step type schedule. Those are two, you know, two of the better, early. You know, four or five best teams are going to play in non-conference this year.
0: Yeah, and then I mean, I'm sure. Like, hopefully, he doesn't go off again like last year. But you got to be excited to have a courtside seat to watch Marcus Howard again.
2: I mean, yeah. uh I tell you <laughs> what, I wasn't at the game last year. I watched it on TV like okay. every else. I mean, and holy cow! Like, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I had seen. I don't know the last time I saw something like that against K State. You know. So yeah, I mean that'll be a fun matchup, Alabama. You know, in Tuscaloosa a little bit later in the year will be really, really cool to see, I think. So, yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest non-con schedule in the world, but I think it offers probably enough for sure for this this KC team's at. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it should be good. And then, you know, you get into the Big 12, and it, it seems like the consensus is KU at the top, for sure. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe TCU at the bottom is more or less consensus, and then in the middle, just a bunch of – good to great teams right <laughs> like no think, no easy games
2: I think so I mean I was pretty uh alarmed when K-State was picked ninth I still don't disagree with it but I mean if, if you I guess yeah if you really sit down and talk it out there's not a ton of teams that I would say well you have to put K-State ahead of them you know what I mean like yeah. so you, you know, how could you have them ninth because you have to I mean yeah. if it had been seventh I still would have thought it was a little bit low but I would have said fine you know big no big deal <laughs> And even ninth, I get. But yeah, I, I think Kansas will be really good. I think Baylor will be really good. I don't think they'll challenge Kansas, you know, all the way through the year for the league title, but they could. And it wouldn't be absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. stunning. Texas Tech, I, you know, I, I think has as many questions or close to these questions as K-State, although I think they'll be really good. Oklahoma State, maybe like everything, and has a good I, – I think the league might well, have – So
0: Oklahoma State, their four-star kid got suspended. So, oh, I didn't know that. If he's out for a little while, that could that could change things a little bit.
2: Yeah, that would hurt. I think they, they still do they have all five starters back. I think they do with likely yeah. May McGree. Yeah, but still, the funny thing about Okie State, you know, even you can even talk to K State coach behind this or off the record, like they think Okie State's pretty good. It's just tough for K State fans to sort of throw at Oklahoma State when K State beat them by a hundred last. Right, <laughs> right. So right. I think we have a misperception of what they are, but I think there could be. I know it sounds kind of cliche to say, but I really mean it. More good teams in the league this year than there were last year. But I don't know that there'll be – K-State and Texas Tech were really good, you know, and then Kansas was pretty darn good. I don't know if there'll be two teams as good as K-State and Tech, but I think
1: it'll be a better league maybe overall. Yeah. yeah.
2: So just you – know, uh, in
1: general, I think the idea that K-State got picked ninth in the preseason poll has less to do with definitively that coaches think that other teams are better than us as much as – You know, if I was to sum up what the expectations are for K-State this year, it's probably a shoulder shrug emoji. Uh, Who knows? I mean, there's like just massive question marks surrounding our team. And the answers to those questions can be just as positive as they can be pedestrians. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly this team grows, because if this team can grow quickly and really, uh, really take advantage of early season opportunities to get a lot of experience and that sort of thing on that nine deep. I think K-State can, you know, compared to a ninth out of 10 preseason pick can surprise a lot of people.
0: Yeah. So just to clarify, it was just yesterday that the suspension came out. Marcus Watson and Anne Oklahoma State yeah, released right. a statement and they're aware of apparently he had a protective order filed against him by a female student. So it sounds like a I fairly serious situation. Not Yeah, that could be. Not good for anyone. So, yeah. Anyway, but I guess and the other thing... Well, it's a little interesting if you look at it and, and compare and contrast, Kansas State and Texas Tech, because I think there's a lot of similarities there, right? Both teams yeah. lost a ton, you know, bringing in decent recruiting classes, but nothing super special. And yet everybody seems to love Texas Tech and everybody seems to prefer to the bot. Is that just because people think Chris Beard's a much better Chris, Chris what, than Bruce Weber right now? Or what do you think? I, or is it because Texas to- Tech made championship?
2: <laughs> I just to think, think so. And I think Chris Beard, and, and I think you guys probably, you know, aren't saying anything different. I think he deserves a ton of respect, you know I mean? With what he's done with them the last mm-hmm. couple of years and, and the runs of the tournament do make a difference. And, but I do agree in a general sense. And I think you can look at, te- you know, some of the transfers and recruits tech bot in, and you could argue they're more ready made to help that a couple of case st- blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think it's crazy, but I do think in the most general sense, I think the two teams in relatively similar scenarios, and to see them picked so differently has to be what you're speaking about. I think it has to be seen as a perception that maybe Beard is that special. And while Bruce is seen as a good coach, maybe not special enough to continue to produce that result every year, while some people, you know, doing their with their voting think that Chris Beard might be.
0: Right. And then I mean there's the whole thing of what happened in the tournament too, which sure. is tough 'cause it's sudden that tournament, but that's what's in people's minds. So no doubt it makes exactly. sense. I guess since we're talking about recruiting, can you uh, you know just update us on how great the 2020 recruiting class is? Because we've heard a lot of good things.
2: It's pretty unique. I mean, from at least a recruiting rankings perspective, it's the only time. I mean, I don't know how long the Rivals 150s existed. I can only go back to 2002 and look through that. But it's the only time K-State has had four Rivals 150 guys in the same class. Maybe they've only had three one other time. And I think it was the Rodney Magruder, Wally Judge, Nick Russell class, I think was the only time they've had three. So from a this are pure rankings, you know, black and white perspective, it would be the best they've had in a long time, you know, since the Beasley Classic course. You know, Nigel Pack is a force they have two four-star players right now, Nigel Pack, then Sultan Miguel, then two three-stars in the 150, and Luke Kasubke and Davion Bradford, both really from the St. Louis area. And, and it's a situation where you're always expect to say this, but these are four guys that like, they really wanted. Like, Nigel Pack, They were just obsessed with trying to get him committed before July because they thought he would blow up, and he has since then, and he thought it would help bring in other kids. So it's nice from a ranking perspective. It's nice from a roster distribution. It's basically a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, and center. You know, coming off a class where you signed two power forwards and really a small forward or a two in Dejuan, so the roster balance makes a lot of sense with what they've done. The rankings of the kids are high. You know, it's not perfect. It's not going to be a top 10 class. It's not going to be the best of the Big 12, I'm sure, but it's a very good class. And it's a good sign, I think, when two years in a row, you can legitimately and sincerely say that Bruce Weber has signed his best class at K-State. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great news. Yeah. So I guess, you know, unless you guys have anything else, I think we're kind of getting towards the end here. So this is where we, we normally do some projections of the game ahead or whatever. Uh, you know, we already talked about the KU game. what? But how about – so? I'm not going to ask you to, to pick exactly where Kansas State's going to fall because, like you guys said, it's, it's kind of like throwing darts. But give me a, a floor and a ceiling for what this team can accomplish this year.
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a realist, a realistic, you know, floor – I mean, they they could certainly have a scenario where they finish eighth or ninth in the league. I mean, that could certainly happen. I'd be surprised if they finished lower than seventh, so maybe I'll put it there. And then I think it'd be pretty surprised if they finished higher than fourth, you know. So maybe fourth to seventh, and that range is where I'd feel comfortable settling. But I'd be curious to hear what you guys say too, because it could be, I mean, it could be anywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that for me, that floor is probably that that seventh, mm-hmm. maybe eighth. You know, record wise, I think the bottom is probably 500. I don't see this team coming out of season with a losing record by any means. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be pretty cataclysmic, to be honest with you. Yep. You know, the upper end, I think the upper end for this team is probably a 10 and 8 conference season. And yeah, that fourth, depending on how jumbled up things go, maybe, maybe sneak into the third spot in the conference. Yeah. You know, I think that some sort of NIT or NCAA is uh I don't want to say a lock because a lot of things can happen, but I would see it very hard to believe that we would wouldn't make uh, at least an NIT. I think what I've seen so far, a lot we'll see, I would be much more willing to make a more solid prediction once we get to that mid-season tournament or that mid-season tournament over Thanksgiving in Fort Myers. If we're tracking pretty well at that point, I think that, you know, another NCAA season should be an expectation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm about the same way there. I mean maybe you sneak up to third or so, but i see him going too much higher than that. And then the floor I think I put about the same. What I really love about this season is that I don't have to ask the question what does Bruce need to do to stay off the hot seat, you know? Right.
2: <laughs> I, thought I, say, I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say Can anyone beat KU Streak? So I thought that was going to be the Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, they're both great, but it's funny to think about that, because we've never not talked about that. But either question would have made sense, no
1: doubt. True. So I got an even better question. What is going to be the name that is most commonly called out by Bruce Weber during games now that Barry Brown isn't around?
2: (laughs) I mean, people have said, you know, Cardi, you would sure work great. You know, I mean, two syllables, rhymes with Barry. I mean – I think that's gotta be the leader, but it'd be funny. What would be I mean, what would be the funniest name, you know? I mean Mac.
0: Like Mac would be pretty good. He'd draw out that yeah. A, you know? Right. Mac. You
2: know, I mean Mack. like yeah, that'd be good.
0: would be good. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. do, do they have a like Montavius is a long name to say. Does he have a nickname yet? Or? Just
2: Monty. And I think Bruce okay. might call him Monty more than he calls him Montavius even. And I thought about that. Okay. That'd be a possible one. Monty would be fun to hear from the sidelines too. For four years, I mean, if we're lucky. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah I think that's going to take over Barry. It's got to. Yeah,
2: it
0: could yeah. be. I like it. I like it. So yeah, th- wait. Since you mentioned KU, and I don't know how dialed in on this yeah. you are, but well, you know, what do you think about the you know the NCAA investigations and, and what kind of sanctions might be coming down there? I mean, I, I
2: know. When it all happened, you know, when I say when it all happened, I don't know what that means. I guess when, you know, the latest round, I mean, when people got to see a, a look, you know, at the document or whatnot of what the NCAA was doing and see some of the specifics, like, at that point said, man, there's no chance. In my opinion, there's no chance this other end with Bill Self, you know, leaving Kansas, whether he's fired or chooses to or whatever. And, you know, you get a couple months out of that and you hear people saying different things and how KU is going to fight it and maybe start to second guess yourself. But the reality is that's still how I feel. And I'm somebody who, when this whole thing started, told everyone who would listen, nothing's ever going to happen, not just to KU, but to anybody. Like, I didn't believe anything was going to happen to anybody. And so I'm not somebody who was quick to say, oh, they're going to get in trouble for this. I mean, but I can't believe the NCAA would, you know, love the charges they have against Kansas and have the, you know, the confidence to do that, knowing it's going to be public. And then but there's any chance they're going to turn around and just say uh, two game suspension for Bill Self, you know, one lost scholarship and they were all good. You know, I mean, I bet Kansas could mount a relatively good defense, you know, in a court of law that says they didn't know T.J. Gassanola was paying kids like they I bet that would be hard to prove. But one, they don't have to prove that this is not a court of law, you know. And two, even if the NCAA says, sure, we believe you didn't know that TJ Gassinolo was paying kids, it's still not going to matter. I mean, they're still going to say you should have known. You involved him in it, so you're in Mm -hmm. trouble. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I just don't see any way this doesn't end with Bill Self not being there and probably minimum a one-year
1: postseason ban. Mm -hmm. I'm just too cynical to have (laughs) that. I I, I wish that was the case. And let's be honest, I wish it was the case just because it's KU. Yeah. I love college basketball. I don't want to see these kind of things happen. But I'm just, I'm so cynical about these sort of things in any arena that I'm just, I step back and I look at it, I was like, does the NCAA or do they I understand the gravity of the situation and the charges that are levied against them? Do you really want to open that box? Do you really right. want to see what's on the other side of that door? And I'm cynical enough that I'm just like I don't think anybody has the power to be able to handle that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I you're not crazy to think I, I, it could all absolutely be accurate. And it, there's still a lot that until that yeah until that happens, you know, and what you're talking, I feel the same. Like until it happens, I still have those same questions and I guess concerns.
0: Yeah, and another thing with that, do you think it's uh? Some people have been suggesting it's not coincidental that all this came out, and then after years of fighting against it, Bill Self and KU agreed to bring back the border war, which I'm, of course, really excited about as a Mizzou grad. But I'm not entirely sure that correlation equals causation.
2: I don't know either. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I had that thought. I mean, when, yeah. the first, when I saw it, my first thought was, well, that will, you know, that's a good way to point the attention elsewhere. But yeah, I'm with you. i Go into my head, I doubt that they were totally tied together, but I did have that thought when I saw it, for sure.
1: Well, for whatever attention they're trying to pull away by bringing that series back, they sure did dig themselves a little bit more of a hole bringing Snoop Dogg in for a, <laughs> a midnight basketball thing. and having Bill Self parading around an Adidas T-shirt with a freaking gold chain and everything like that. I mean, yeah, well, if I, there is an optic out there that is isn't—if if, is more middle finger to the NCAA, yeah. I have no idea what it would be.
2: When I yeah. saw that video, like, I remember just exclaiming, you said, like, he's not even wearing a KU Adidas shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if it had been a Kansas Adidas basketball shirt, whatever. I mean, no, it was just a JIT Adidas logo tee with the money sign and yeah. everything. And then for him – and, and I kind of – say I typically would say, as much as I hate saying it, I kind of like Bill Self. But, mm-hmm. man, I mean, for the, to come out and say that he doesn't understand why people took it that way and yeah. just, boy, I, like I said, I think he's a great – I mean, cheating well, – that's a whole different topic. I still think he's a great college basketball coach, but I, I am losing respect, I mean, at this point, to be quite honest, when yeah. these things that we see that anybody would take this way, that I just think anybody would see that and say, hey, man, you can't do that. You know, I mean it's just
1: flipping them off, like you said. And for him to say, well, I, don't,
2: I don't see how you feel that way, I'm like, What? Shoot, man. I mean everyone feels that way.
1: <laughs> but him to say that it just it just means that he is either the dumbest or one of the dirtiest people in college. Basketball. One of the two. One of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I agree. Yeah.
0: And I never thought we'd see a statement from the K U E D saying we didn't realize acrobatic dancers meant strippers. <laughs>
1: no, funny. that's just dumb. That, that's <laughs> not dirty. That's just dumb.
0: Yeah. Right. right. I
2: mean, that's an example too of of. That was astonishing. Right. I would almost rather. I mean, I'm getting a different topic, but I almost it's like the whole. Would you rather be a bad good player, good bad player? <laughs> I'd almost rather admit I made a dumb choice, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I just didn't think about. You know, I just made a dumb choice with bringing Snoop in. You know, I mean, than saying, I didn't know they would do that kind of stuff. Like, I'd respect you more if you're like, hey, I knew what would happen. I just didn't see, you know, how it was going to come off, and I was wrong. Like, that I would understand more than, I didn't know they would do this stuff. Like, that sounds worse. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: By the way, did K-State do any sort of Midnight Madness thing?
2: No, there hasn't been anything. And it, it doesn't really shock me, but I was a little surprised that there hasn't been anything. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think there's going to be this year.
0: Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, oh, I guess they, they've they at least stepped their social media game up quite a bit, so that, that's exactly. sounds nice. Exactly. exactly. All right, well, I, I think that's about it. And this, Eric, you have anything else?
1: No, I think we're good. Um, you know, we got uh, we got Washburn coming up, another exhibition, and uh season opens early this year. Uh, I think it, it's the earliest regular season game that K-State's ever played, November 5th against uh, North Dakota State.
0: Well, Matt, uh, thanks for coming on. You know, people can check out your stuff, K-State Online. You guys have some specials going on?
2: Of course, yeah, I appreciate you asking. Rivals sent me I mean, I'm not I'll be behind breaking the fourth wall here. Her rivals sent me a text, like during the game. You know, they're like, Is K State gonna win? I'm like, Well, I mean probably. It's forty it's forty eight it's forty eight twenty three. I mean probably so. And, and so like, well should we do a promo? I was like, Well, that'd be great. Yeah. So anyway, I mean <laughs> it's kind of always confusing, but it's hundred bucks, you know, for a year case it online. Um I think it's through November first. If you get a new annual subscription, Rivals will make it half of that, so fifty dollars. And they will also give you a fifty dollars gift card to the Rivals Fan Shop, which sounds fancy. It's just fanatics <laughs> that, that that everyone goes through. It's not like specific to Rivals. Um, and the good news about it is uh, they sell all the Case State Nike stuff because I kind of remind them after a last promo. I was like, hey, like if there's one school in America that's not going to respond great to an Adidas promo, <laughs> it, would <probably> be, <laughs> it would probably be ours. Um, which actually, I mean, actually, I'm not, it's stupid, I can't share numbers, but out of the, there's 130 schools in the Rivals network or so, and we were in the top. I can't be super specific, but we were the single digits in that promotion, okay. wow. which was shocking, I think, for being an Adidas promo. So, um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, if you do it this time, you don't have to get Adidas stuff. I don't even have case state Adidas stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me talk about that on here and, and bringing me on because um, it is sincerely fun to talk to you guys anytime you let me do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no problem. and what's your uh, Twitter handle again?
2: It's uh, at Matthew underscore D underscore Hall. I did jokingly write Halls Cough Drops once to ask if I could have their Twitter handle, <laughs> and, and uh, they didn't even respond to me. So I don't know. I don't know. About
0: that uh, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on.
2: Well, of course, appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you, guys.
0: Yeah, I'm Luke Thompson, signing off.